ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So we are on Al-Mulakhas Al-Fiqhi of Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan in the chapter regarding the women. Bab fi hukam hudur al-nisa ila al-masajid. The chapter regarding the ruling of women coming to the mosques. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, Inna deenana kamilun wa shamilun li masalihina fi dunya wal akhira. This religion of Islam is a complete and comprehensive religion which has the benefits in it for us in this world and in the hereafter. It is for the good of us in this world and the hereafter. جَاءَ بِالْخَيْرِ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ رِجَالًا وَنِسَاءً It has come with goodness for men and for women. It mentions in the ayah, مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِّنْ ذَكَرٍ أَوْ أُنْثَىٰ وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنْ فَلَنُحْيِيَنَّهُ حَيَاةً طَيِّبًا وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْرَهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ That whomsoever does the righteous actions from the males or the females and they are believers, then we will give them a good life and we will give them recompense with the best of reward for what they used to do, for the good actions and the good deeds and the obedience they used to do. So Allah has given importance to the women has given importance to the women. And Allah has given the women a status of respect and honor. Allah has given the women a dignified and honorable status. If and as long as the women cling on to the guidance of this religion, then certainly they have a dignified and respected position. And as long as the women characterize themselves with the virtues of this religion, they behave with that nobility, then certainly they have been given dignity and honor in this religion. 
وَمِنْذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ سَمَحَ لَهَا بِالْحُضُورِ إِلَى الْمَسَاجِدِ And from this honor that Allah has given to the women is that they are permitted to come and join in at the masjid لِلْمُشَارَكَ فِي الْخَيْرِ To join in, join in with the goodness مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ From the congregational prayer وَحُضُورْ مَجَالِسِ الذِّكْرِ And to attend the gatherings of knowledge مَا لِحْتِشَامِ وَالْتِزَامِ الْحْتِيَاطَاتِ الَّتِي تُبْعِدُهَا عَنِ الْفِتْنَةِ وَتَحْفَظْ لَهَا كَرَامَتَهَا As long as they ensure that they are properly covered and they take all of the necessary steps to ensure that no fitna occurs with them exiting and coming and they take the steps to ensure that their nobility and their dignity is maintained and preserved then of course it is allowed and permitted for them to come to the masajid for the congregational prayers for the gatherings of knowledge فَإِذَا اسْتَأْذَنَتْ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ So if a woman seeks permission to go to the mosque, she asks her husband, her father, seeks permission to go to the mosque, It is disliked to prevent her. It is disliked to prevent her. Due to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, لا تمنعوا إماء الله مساجد الله وبيوتهن خير لهن. Do not prevent the women, the female servants of Allah, from the mosques of Allah, even though their homes are better. The homes are better, but do not prevent them from going to the mosques. So the hadith is clear. There are of course many virtues of attending the mosque, the virtues of the congregational prayer, the virtues of walking to the masjid. All of these things have a virtue in them. In the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, إِذَا اسْتَأْذَنَتْ نِسَاءُكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ فَأْذَنُوا لَهُنَّ If your women seek permission to go to the mosque by night, then allow them. وَجْهُ كَوْنِهَا تَسْتَأْذِنُ الزَّوْجِ فِي ذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ مُلَازَمَةَ الْبَيْتِ حَقٌّ لِلزَّوْجِ وَخُرُوجُهَا لِلْمَسْجِدِ فِي تِلْكَ الْحَالِ مُبَاحِ فَلَا تَتْرُكِ الْوَاجِبِ لِأَجْلِ مُبَاحِ فَإِذَا أَذِنَ الزَّوْجِ فَقَدْ أَسْقَطَ حَقَّهُ نعم. The fact that women have rights to fulfill in the house is an obligation. There is an obligation upon them to fulfill the rights of the house, the rights of the home. That is an obligation upon them, the rights of the husband. As for going to the mosque, is it an obligation upon the women? No. Staying at home and fulfilling the rights of the home and the husband, that is an obligation. Going to the mosque is not an obligation. Therefore, in order for the woman to leave the house and go to the mosque, she would have to leave her role 
which is a role of obligation to go to something which is not necessarily obligation. For that reason, she needs permission from her husband to go. You cannot leave your obligatory role in the home, be absent from that role, be absent from the rights of the husband, and go to the mosque, which is something not obligatory upon you, without first taking the permission of the husband. So if the husband gives that permission, then she is free to go to the masjid, and of course, like we said in the narration, وَبُيُوتُهُنَّ خَيْرٌ لَهُنَّ The homes are better for them. The prayer in the homes is better for them. And remaining in the homes generally is better for them. Unless they have some reason to leave. A woman shouldn't just be going out and about wandering around for no reason. There is a reason to go, somewhere to go, some shopping to do, to visit her husband, to visit her, her, her friends, or something she wants to do, to go to the masjid, then okay. It is allowed by the permission of the husband and everything else if it is safe. And also, the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned, if the women do leave their homes, then they must go in a manner whereby they are covered properly and they do not use fragrances. Perfumes and fragrances, they can't use them when they leave the house. They are going to leave their homes and go out, then they must go without the perfumes and things. Because if they use the perfumes and then go out, that will cause a fitna to the people when that fragrance is smelt from them. Also, beautification in garments is not allowed. They must be covered with garments that do not attract attention. So when they wear their outer garment, it doesn't have to be black. It's not a condition. It's not a condition it has to be black. But it should be a color that does not attract attention. It can be uh, a navy, a maroon, a brown any type of color that isn't going to stick out and attract attention. So you don't wear a bright yellow hijab and go out because that is clearly going to attract attention. Walking around with bright, shiny colors on or sparkles as some of the women wear now. The types of jilbabs, hijabs that they wear, they have sparkles on them. These types of things is not suitable because that type of thing is then bringing attention to yourself. So as long as the clothes are types that do not bring attention to yourself, then it's okay. It's not a condition it has to be black, but something which will not bring attention to yourself. وَكَذَلِكَ إِذَا خَرَجَتِ الْمَرْأَ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ فَلْتَبْتَعِدْ عَنْ مُزَاحَمَةِ الرِّجَالِ a woman goes to the mosque, obviously she stays away from the men and the congregations of the men at the back of the congregation. And no, normally nowadays it's separated off. So they remain in those areas and they do not mix in amongst the men. Qala al-imam ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah yajibu ala wali al-amr an yamni'a من اختلاط الرجال بالنساء في الأسواق ومجامع الرجال وهو مسؤول عن ذلك والفتنة به عظيمة 
Ibn al-Qayyim said, the leader of the Muslims, the Wali al-Amr, he should ensure that free mixing does not occur. Free mixing does not occur between the men and the women in the markets and these other places. Majami' can be used as well to mean the mosques, but places of congregation of men, that they are not allowed to have the free mixing there because that will certainly cause fitna. It will cause problems and difficulties and issues. فَإِذَا تَمَسَّكَتِ الْمَرْأَةِ بِآدَابِ الْإِسْلَامِ مِنْ لُزُومِ الْحَيَاءِ وَالتَّسَتُّرِ وَتَرْكِ الزِّينَ وَالطِّيبِ وَالْإِبْتِعَادِ عَنْ مُخَالَطَةِ الرِّجَالِ So if a woman sticks to these Islamic morals by having shyness, modesty, covering herself up, not going out with beautification and perfumes and things, staying away from mixing with the men, then yes, she is allowed to go out to the mosque and to pray along in the congregation and to listen to the lessons. وَأَجْمَعَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ صَلَاةَ الْمَرْأَةَ فِي بَيْتِهَا خَيْرٌ لَهَا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ Scholars are agreed that the prayer of the woman in her home is superior to her prayer in the mosque. Then the sheikh goes on to say, if a woman does not stick to the Islamic morals, then she is not allowed to go. It is haram for her to go out there. If a woman isn't sticking to the Islamic morals, she's not dressing properly, she wants to go out with makeup, she wants to go out with perfume, and then she says, let me go to the mosque, you're allowed to say to her, no, you're not allowed. Because in that case, she does not have a right to exit. Because she is not sticking to the Islamic morals of exiting. If she's going to exit in that type of state, then it is not allowed and it is haram for her to go. So if she's going to go out, then she must stick to the Islamic morals and principles of going out in her appearance and her garments, etc. So that is the basic chapter regarding the women going to the mosques. The rule is, are women allowed to go to the mosque or not? They're allowed to go. Uh Excellent. So if they don't follow the Islamic rules, then they are not allowed to go. But if they do follow the Islamic rules and their husband allows them to go, then, then they're allowed to go and they can attend in the congregational prayer and they can attend the gatherings of knowledge. Hmm. What if the husband doesn't know? She went secretly, snuck out, what do you mean? Oh. So what if the husband doesn't know? 
And the wife doesn't know about these Islamic morals. That you're supposed to be covered up and you're not supposed to be wearing perfume. And you're supposed to go out with dignity and modesty and humility. What if they don't know? If they don't know, jahl is jahl. They're going to go end up doing it. But then that's the purpose of seeking knowledge. You learn about knowledge, and once you learn about these things, then you rectify your actions. So insha'Allah ta'ala, those people who don't know, slowly they learn about Islam, and they learn about this knowledge, and then they'll know how a woman is supposed to be, and how she is supposed to cover up, and she is not supposed to go out with perfume, and with makeup, and making fitna with the clothes that are attractive. So they will learn insha'Allah ta'ala. Then the next chapter. Now we've been going through all of these chapters about the prayer. The next chapter is about the Imam. Bab fi bayan ahkamil imama. What are the rules for the Imam? The Imam has to stick by certain rules. Who's the Imam? That's it. So, Sheikh Abdul Hakim, now we're going to see. Now we're going to see. The Imam has to stick by certain rules. So, now next time you learn all the rules, if he doesn't do one, you can tell him. First rule it says, هَذِهِ الْوَظِيفَةِ الدِّينِيَّةِ الْمُهِمَّةِ الَّتِي تَوَلَّاهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم بِنَفْسِهِ وَتَوَلَّاهَا خُلَفَاءُهُ الرَّاشِدُونَ This is a great responsibility Islamically. The person who is the imam, it's a great responsibility. The Prophet ﷺ himself took that responsibility when he was alive. After him, who took that responsibility? The Khulafa al-Rashidun, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum, they took the responsibilities to lead the people in the prayers وَقَدْ جَاءَ فِي فَضْلِ الْإِمَامَ أَحَدِيثِ كَثِيرًا And there are many narrations that tell us about the virtue, about the goodness of being the Imam. وَلِهَذَا كَانَ بَعْضُ الصَّحَابَةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ يقول للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اجعلني إمام قومي لما يعلمون في ذلك من الفضيلة والأجر It is a great position to hold, a great responsibility, great reward in it, being the imam. That's why some of the companions used to say to the Prophet ﷺ, make me the imam of my people, wherever they came from. He used to say they used to say to the Prophet ﷺ, make me the imam of my people. Not because they wanted leadership or they wanted to be in charge, but because they wanted the reward of being the imam. They wanted these virtues of being the imam. Now, لكن مع الأسف الشديد The Shaykh says with great regret. With great regret. نرى في وقتنا هذا كثيرا من طلبة العلم يرغبون عن الإمامة. We see many of the students 
the students of knowledge, they don't want to be the imams. Many of the students of knowledge, they don't want to be the imams. And they think it's not really a big thing, a big responsibility, forget it, I don't want to be the imam. The Shaykh says with great regret, many students of knowledge, these days they think this way. They think the imam, I don't want to be the imam. It's not really my type of thing, it's not really a responsibility for me. Many people, they don't really view the importance, the Shaykh says, of the role of being the imam. And many students, they sidestep from taking the role of being the imam. Maybe the shaykh says, because some of them are just too lazy. They're too lazy, some of them. And some of them just don't have that desire for goodness. Being the imam, there's a great goodness in it. Maybe some of them just haven't got that desire for goodness. وَمَا هَذَا إِلَّا تَخْذِيلٌ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ And this is certainly a deception of the shaitan upon those students. Students who refuse and they don't want to take up the role of the imam. So the shaykh says it is suitable that the students of knowledge, they should take those roles. فَالَّذِي يَنْبَغِي لَهُمْ الْقِيَامِ بِهَا They should take that role of being the imam, the students of knowledge. بِجِدْ وَنِشَاطْ They should take those roles with seriousness. They should take them and be earnest upon that and desire the reward from Allah. فَإِنَّ طَلَبَةَ الْعِلْمِ أَوْلَى النَّاسِ بِالْقِيَامِ بِهَا because the students of knowledge, they are the most deserving of the people to be the imams leading others. The students of knowledge, they are the most deserving of the people to take these roles as the imam and other jobs and responsibilities from the righteous actions. They are the most deserving to take those roles. The students of knowledge, the ones who have studied, then they should take up these roles. The ones who have the most qualifications. Sheikh says the ones who have the most qualifications of being an Imam then they are the most deserving of taking that role over and above others. And sometimes it may be a must upon a particular student to take that role because there is nobody else suitable to do it. So these types of things the Shaykh says, you should not belittle them. The roles of being the Imam and taking these responsibilities and in particular, he says, it's a regret. Regretfully, the students these days, they don't take it. They think it's minor. It is not minor. These are responsibilities and roles in Islam that have a great virtue to them. This imama in particular. So who is the most deserving person to lead the prayer, generally speaking, with the rules that are mentioned? Number one, al-awla bil-imamah. Al-ajwad 
قِرَاءَةً لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى فَالْأَوْلَى بِالْإِمَامَةِ الْأَجْوَدْ قِرَاءَةً لِكِتَابِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وهو الذي يجيد قراءة القرآن بأن يعرف مخارج الحروف يعرف مخارج الحروف ولا يلحن فيها ويطبق قواعد القراءة من غير تكلف ولا تنطع ويكون مع ذلك يعرف فقه صلاته وما يلزم فيها كشروطها وأركانها وواجباتها واجباتها ومبطلاتها لقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أم القوم أقرأهم لكتاب الله So the person who has the best ability in the Quran should lead the prayer. Meaning the person who can recite the Quran properly. He can read and pronounce the letters properly. لا يلحن فيها He doesn't make errors in the reading and the pronunciation of the Quran. What does it mean, this lahan? Lahan is different types. Making errors in recitation is of different levels. Somebody may make errors in recitation to the level that it changes the meaning. If it changes the meaning because of your error in recitations you make, then it is not permissible for you to lead the prayer. So now, for example, somebody says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'een, Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, Sirat Al-Ladheena An'amtu Alayhim, No problem, okay, carry on. غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Astaghfirullah, who said it? Finally, took a 10 hours to say it. So what's the problem there? سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتُ عَلَيْهِمْ What does it mean when you say سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ Guide me, O Allah, to the path of the ones you have blessed. What does it mean if I say Sirat Alladina and Amtu Alayhim? Allah guide me to the path of the ones who I have blessed. Am I the one blessing people? Are we the ones blessing the prophets and the messengers? So can you say that in recitation? That is not allowed. That has changed the meaning. And really you could say a common, very common one. All the time. غَيْرِ الْمَغْزُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الزَّالِينَ آمِينَ غَيْرِ الْمَغْزُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الزَّالِينَ آمِينَ Oh, 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 شوية, شوية So some of our beloved brothers in Pakistan, from the subcontinent, from many areas. It's not just from there, many areas. Many areas, many places in the world. Many places in the world for those who don't know. I mean, even in spoken Arabic, 
in spoken Arabic, some of the, the dialects, not the Dad, but other letters, this is Z, even the Dad. When you say Bizzabt, they say MashaAllah Bizzabt. So in spoken Arabic, they do it too. In spoken Arabic, they do it too. But here in the Quran, when you're reciting, if you say Walazalin instead of Waladalin, changes the meaning. Zalin from where? Zalla. Zalla is different to Dalla. Different verb, different fi'il, different meaning. So it's a problem when they start saying Walazalin Amin. And everywhere, every time Dad comes, Za. In fact, Dad and Za and Zal, everything is just Zai. All of the letters are Zai. And this is a problem. Another one, another common problem is the Tha. Tha. So what do they say instead? Inna a'atayna kal kawsar. That is changing the letter altogether, the makharij. You made a big mess in how you pronounce. Once, I think I told you this before. Once I was praying behind an imam. I won't say which country he came from. But I was praying behind an imam once. He was reciting the ayah, Inni uridu an ithmi wa ithmika. What did he say? Uridu an ismi wa ismika. This is how he recited. Now you have changed the meaning altogether. Ism and ithm. Two different meanings in Arabic altogether. So here they say the lahan, which changes the meaning, then haram for you to lead the prayer. You cannot lead the prayer. You do not know how to pronounce the letters. You are changing the meaning of what you are reading. If, however, your lahan is khafif, you mispronounce letters, but it doesn't affect the meaning. You mispronounce things, but it doesn't affect the meaning. One example some of the scholars give is, Alhamdulillahi Rabbal Alameen. But in the I'rab, in that sentence, it doesn't really do anything. Rabbal Alameen, wrong, it's mansub, it shouldn't be mansub. Alhamdulillahi Majroor, Rabbil Alameen should be Majroor. But if you say Rabbal Alameen, it hasn't changed the meaning, it's made it grammatically incorrect. Grammatically, in Arabic, now it's wrong. But it hasn't changed the meaning or distorted it into something else now. In that context, in that example. So the scholars say that would be passable. Your prayer would be valid. Your prayer would be valid if somebody made that type of mistake. Because yes, he has changed the haraka, but it hasn't impacted on the meaning in that case. If it impacted on the meaning, then invalid. So this is what they talk about, the lahan. If you make big problems, you change the meanings of the words, then you cannot lead the prayer. But somebody who makes minor issues doesn't quite get it right, but it doesn't affect the meanings, doesn't affect the recitation overall, then it's allowable and passable, if he's the only one. If there's somebody better than him, then he shouldn't be leading either. 
Ngon. Khairil maghdubi. No, like we just said now, if the, the pronunciation is only minor, doesn't change the meaning of something, then so be it. But if there's somebody better than him, then somebody better should be leading. Oh, now he wants to do rad on you. He says, what if they are reading in a different way? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, that is allowed because those are different types of recitations and they are allowed those different recitations are allowed even those scholars they say when you go to a place if the people only know one type of recitation then stick to their recitation because if you do a different one people will think you are making mistakes even in the university, Al-Jamil Islamiyah, Tullab Al-Ilm, we were sitting in Quran class once. One of the Maghribi uh, Moroccans, he started reciting. So in the Moroccan one, in the, the manner, you see how they recite often, the Hamza is made into a normal letter. So Yu'minun becomes Yu'minun, like this. So he was reciting like that. Mu'minun, Mu'minun, like a wow. Uh, so one of the students put his hand up He said, Sheikh Sheikh All these mistakes he's making Sheikh Making wow All these mistakes He didn't know Everybody started laughing in the class Because they knew he's reciting in the other way One student he didn't know He was hearing this, uh, this Moroccan brother reciting reciting. He said, what's going on? All these words he's doing it wrong He said, Sheikh, Sheikh and then they explained to him, this is another type of recitation. Those are allowed. But the scholars say, stick to the ones the people know in the area. So don't go to somewhere where they don't know these recitations and you start doing them and everybody thinks behind you, what's he talking about? Because sometimes even the letters they change. The verbs they change from the ya to the ta. So you might think, person might think he's got it wrong. He's memorized it wrong, but it's actually okay. So in the area, no problem. In the area, no problem. But if you're somewhere where they don't know it, it's better to not use it. Use the one that they know. Of those people. Uh -huh. If you don't know the other one, but you are the best of them, then you could maybe explain to them. No harm. Tell them at the beginning about these recitations and that you recite in this way so that people don't get confused. No problem in that. Just tell them and explain to them if that's a situation you're in and nobody else would understand otherwise. So this is what the Shaykh says. The person who is the best in the recitation, best in the Quran, in reading, in pronouncing, in not making the lahan, not making these errors in his words. And he can implement the rules of reciting tajweed, etc. Even though tajweed is not a condition of being the imam. It's not a shart. A person may not have learned tajweed ever. As long as you know how to pronounce the letters, 
pronunciation of the letters properly, basically that is sufficient as an imam. If you have somebody who knows all the tajweed, alhamdulillah. But if you're in a place, and or even not in a place, but generally a person hasn't learned the higher level of tajweed, but he can recite the basic recitation in the letters pronounced in the average good way, then that's permissible to lead the prayer. It's not a condition that the imam has to know all of the tajweed. As long as he knows the basic recitation. But if there is somebody who knows that, then they are superior to lead the prayer. The one who knows all of the tajweed and knows all of the rules, they are superior to lead the prayer. So the shaykh says, that type of person has the priority. But on top of that, it's not just about that. It's not just about somebody who knows all the Qur'an properly and the recitation properly. Another thing that goes with it is ilm. Knowledge. Knowledge is taken into consideration as a factor. Because the imam is supposed to be somebody who has knowledge of everything we've been talking about here. Knowledge of the conditions of the prayer. Knowledge of the arkan of the prayer. Knowledge of the wajibat of the prayer. Because in case he makes a mistake, he needs to know what to do. If some other situation happens in the prayer, he needs to know how to behave, how to react. If the imam has no knowledge of anything, then in the prayer something goes wrong, out of the ordinary, you won't know what to do. So knowledge is key. The imam needs to be somebody who has knowledge of the prayer and the rulings of the prayer, has fiqh of the prayer, so that he is leading, if anything happens, he has an understanding of what to do and how to fix that situation. Knows about how to do the prostrations of forgetfulness. Knows about the various rulings of the prayer. That is important too. To the extent... To the extent you have one person, MashaAllah, he knows all of the qiraat, he knows all of the tajweed, hafiz of the Quran since he's three years old, everything. But then on the other side, you have a man who is strong, talib al-ilm, but he's not hafiz of the Quran, he hasn't done tajweed. Which one is more deserving to lead the prayer? He memorized the Quran when he was three. So the scholars do say, you have to give some importance to the issue of knowledge. He could have all of that knowledge of Quran and recitation, but he hasn't got a clue about fiqh of the prayer at all. Has no clue about the fiqh of the prayer. Starts leading the prayer, and he makes a mistake, he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have any knowledge about anything. He's memorized the Quran, he doesn't know anything else. Another person, maybe not as good as him in tajweed, he hasn't done all of that. In detail, he's not an expert in that, but he has knowledge of all of the affairs. So he is a more rounded type of person to lead the prayer. Because if you let that one lead the prayer, something happens, he won't even know what to do about prostrations of forgetfulness, anything. So in that case, it's not just by default, he's hafid khalas, he leads. Not necessarily. You have to look at the situation about having knowledge of the prayer and fiqh of the prayer too. Okay, yes, he can be the one standing behind you and he corrects your mistakes and recitation. So the Prophet says, uh, 
No, that's it. Yeah, yeah, ummul nas. This is what we say. Yeah, ummul qawm akra'uhum li kitabillah. The most, the one who is the best in the recitation and the, the reading of the book, the book of Allah. But, even that, in the time of the Salaf, the one who was akra'uhum of the Qur'an will be the one who is the most knowledgeable of the Qur'an. It is not like today. Today somebody is hafiz and he doesn't know the meaning of one ayah. This was not the Salaf. Salaf, the akra'uhum. He knows all of the Qur'an, the recitation. He knows the meanings and the tafsir and everything. So akra'uhum would be a'lamuhum most of the time. But nowadays people, they memorize all of the Qur'an. They don't understand even one ayah of it. Not even understand one ayah. So this is a problem. They have no knowledge of anything. So you don't just say, khalas, you're hafid, you lead. Somebody else may be less in the Qur'an, less in the tajweed, but he has knowledge and understands. He has more right, man. You can't just put a blind person to lead, the Quran, uh, to lead the prayer and he doesn't know anything about anything. He doesn't even know any rulings or nothing about the prayer. That type of person can't lead. So you have to look at it in context. The one who is the most knowledgeable of the Qur'an, that brings into it issues. Most knowledgeable of the recitation of the Qur'an, then it is assumed. You have knowledge of the Qur'an itself. This narration doesn't mean you're excellent at reciting, but haven't got a clue what you're reciting. Haven't got a clue what the Qur'an is saying, what the rulings are saying, nothing. So it all comes into it together. So then, وَمَا وَرَدَ بِمَعْنَاهُ مِنَ الْأَحَدِيثِ الصَّحِيحَةِ مِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ يُقَدَّمْ فِي الْإِمَامَةِ الْأَجْوَدِ قِرَاءَةً لِلْقُرْآنِ الْكَرِيمِ الَّذِي يَعْلَمْ فِقْهَ الصَّلَاةِ The best reciter who also has knowledge of the prayer. لِأَنَّ الْأَقْرَأْ فِي زَمَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَكُونُ the one who was the most best at reciting the Qur'an and hafiz of the Qur'an, he, would, he was the one who was going to be the most knowledgeable. You know, in those days, the Salaf, these circles of knowledge, if a person came to the circle of knowledge, the Shaykh in those days, they would say to the new person, have you memorized the Qur'an? Not entirely. You know what the Salaf, some of the sheikhs used to say? Get out. Go finish the Quran. When you are hafiz, you can come to my class. This is what they used to say. Get out. Go finish the Quran. When you are hafiz, come back and you can sit in my lesson. That's what they used to tell them. So the ones who had knowledge of the Quran in those days, recitation, tajweed, they were knowledgeable in religion too. This is a, a, an anomaly which has occurred nowadays. It is an anomaly that a person is half of the Qur'an and he hasn't got a clue about anything in the Qur'an. Doesn't understand what he's reading. Doesn't comprehend. So, the one who is the most in the recitation, it is assumed and understood and the meaning of it, that he has knowledge too. So in that situation, you need to be aware. Somebody comes along, he's half of the Qur'an, tajweed and everything. But he is completely jahil, ignorant, nothing, no knowledge. Another person comes along, he only knows half of the Qur'an. His tajweed is a bit less, but he has knowledge. He's a student of knowledge, for example. That person has more right than the hafiz in that case. Mm. Nobody in the congregation knows how to do what? Pray? 
to read the Quran properly? It's a problem, big problem. Nobody knows how to do it. How are you going to lead the prayer? Who's going to do it? That's why it needs knowledge. We have to seek knowledge. Everybody needs knowledge. Bring who? Bring your friend or your cousin who knows. Then he can lead the prayer. It needs knowledge. This is too much ignorance. You have all the congregation, the jama'ah, and not a single person knows anything. There are some narrations, maybe the shaykh will mention them here. In the times of the Sahaba, time of the Sahaba, sometimes when they used to pray, in the absence of the Prophet or after the Prophet sometimes they used to look around and there are some narrations, they used to notice that the most knowledgeable of the Qur'an was sometimes the kids, more than the grown-ups. Sometimes the kids were the most knowledgeable and the reciters and the memorizers and knowledge of the rulings and understanding the Qur'an. Sometimes the kids were the most and they used to lead the prayer. Then, after that, ah, it continues. Now the Shaykh he says, what if you have a bunch of people, all of them Hufaz, all of them have memorized the Quran. Now you come along and there's five people here, all of them are Hafiz. All of them know Tajweed, all of them know the seven recitations. So now, which one are you going to put forward? Like we've just said, you're going to put forward the one which is most knowledgeable of them. The most knowledgeable of them. If they are all the same in recitation, then the Afqah, the most knowledgeable of them, he is the one who leads. Because in that case, he has two things. He has knowledge and he has recitation and Quran. He is better than the one who only has Quran. فَإِن كَانُوا فِي الْقِرَاءَةِ فَأَعْلَمُهُمْ بِالسُنَّةِ If they are all equal in recitation, then the most knowledgeable of them in the sunnah, in the religion of Allah. What if you come one day here and there's five of you all hafiz of the Quran? All of you are mutakharrijeen min al-jam'i al-islamiyya. All of you graduates, five graduates from the University of Medina here. All of them hafiz of the Quran. All of them know tajweed. All of them know everything. Which one's going to lead the prayer? No? <laughs> so here, ah, yeah, that's what they mention in the texts. The one who made the hijra first. The one who made the hijra first. So who moved to Bolton first? <laughs> ah. So then it is Al-Aqdam Hijratan. Wal-Hijra Al-Intiqal Min Baladi Shirk Ila Baladi Islam. Of course then in our context now, it is Al-Akbar Sinnan. Now you have five people, all of them Hafid, all of them students of knowledge. Which one should lead? The oldest in age then. The 
oldest in age then. وَلْيَا أُمُّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ Hadith which is agreed upon. والدليل على هذا الترتيب الحديث الذي الحديث الذي رواه مسلم عن ابي مسعود البدري this evidence for this order what's the evidence this is the order you look at quran fiqh age these factors what is the evidence you look at these factors there is a hadith of abu mas'ud uh, that the Prophet said, The most knowledgeable recitation leads the people. If they are all equal in that recitation and knowledge, as we said, that's how they were in those days, then the most knowledgeable of them in the Sunnah, the one with the highest knowledge, then, and it is assumed all of them have some knowledge. And if they are all equal in that, then the one who is, it mentions then, فَإِن كَانُوا فِي السُنَّةِ سَوَاءٌ فَأَقْدَمُهُمْ هِجْرًا The earliest one to have made the hijra. فَإِن كَانُوا فِي الْهِجْرَةِ سَوَاءٌ فَأَقْدَمُهُمْ سِنَّنَّ Then the oldest of them in age. The married one takes precedence over the unmarried one. Okay. Okay. hadith or Yeah, so, so everybody, everybody is saying, Samaitu. Huh? Now, they're saying if everybody is equal in all of these factors, everything, they're all born on the same day, <laughs> then which one do you pick? The one who is married and the one who is over, the one who is not married. But now we're trying to establish what is the proof for that. So it looks like you have now established upon yourself the homework for the week. So the homework for this week, search for the narration or the proof that if everything is equal, the married one has right over the unmarried one. That you can search and investigate, unless maybe we come across it later on. On ah, yes, yes. This, I mean, again, from the time of the Salaf, these things, they don't come into it. Nowadays, the scholars do say, somebody... He has the Qur'an, memorized, hafiz, tajweed, maybe even alim. He has knowledge, but he is clean-shaven. Like you have these people, clean-shaven, but he is sheikh. Ikhwan al-Muslim in these people. That person walks into the mosque, knowledge. Kharij min al-Azhar, or some other place. Quran, clean-shaven though. You come along, miskeen, 20 years old, but you're hafidh, alhamdulillah. But this one, mashaAllah, he's, he's got doctora, everything. Mustaf, kursi, all, everything. Who's going to lead the prayer? The scholars, they say, 
The sunnah takes priority. The clean-shaven one, don't give him priority to lead the prayer. Open, fasiq. They're going to say to him, you have the imama, you have all these fadail over the one who is multazim. Then the scholars say the one with the beard lead the prayer. The same, the same thing they say. Somebody comes in, knowledge, alim, everything. He comes in wearing trousers and t-shirt. Tight trousers and t-shirt. Muspil, everything. His pants below his ankles. You, again, miskin, 20 years old, but alhamdulillah, you're practicing the sunnah, you know the Quran, etc. You have more right to lead than him. Even though he may be superior to you in knowledge and understanding and tajweed and everything. Those types of oppositions to the sunnah, you don't give them priority. Appointed imam, you have no choice. Then you have no choice. You go to a mosque and the appointed imam is like that. You pray. Your prayer is valid. Nobody's going to say your prayer is invalid. Your prayer is valid. You have no choice there. These are situations where there isn't an appointed, appointed imam. You go to a mosque, there's an appointed imam. Khalas. He's the imam. But in a situation where you need to pick somebody to lead the prayer now, then all of these are the rules to take into consideration. In that case, you go. I mean, the man, the man, if he is, 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 is upon, upon the sunnah generally, he's not a mubtadi' a mubtadi' to the level of, يعني, like bid'ah, mukaffirah, and those types of things. He is somebody who your prayer is valid behind. Then you should pray in the jama'ah. You go and pray in the jama'ah. Allahu musta'an, that's how he is. That's the imam. What else can you do? You don't say... The imam is like that, so I'm going to miss the jama'ah and not pray there. That is the situation you go, then you pray in the jama'ah behind him as long as it is valid, otherwise his aqidah, everything. Pray, pray in the jama'ah, what can you do? Hmm. No, same ruling. You go to a mosque and that's the imam, you can pray. Your prayer is valid. You don't say, I'm going to miss the jama'ah now because the imam is pants up below his ankles. You can pray. Your reward is there. The jama'ah reward is there for you. And the imam is the sinner for being like that. But it's out of your control. He's the fixed imam of that place where you are. Absolutely. If he was knowledgeable... And he was practicing his knowledge, then he wouldn't be shaving his beard and he wouldn't be putting his pants below his ankles. But that is the desires that overcome the people these days. You have these individuals, you probably heard the big Sheikh Yusuf al Qaradawi. They say he's alim. Look, everything, huh? Studied and graduate and alim and everything. Look at the fatawa he gives. You heard about his fatawa? The types of fatawa that he gives? It is allowed to shake the hand of a woman who you are not mahram to. Yes. Lots of things. Music, drama, watching the dramas on TV. Mortgage, huh? Mortgage too? Everything. 
So these people, you're right, if they had real knowledge and real practice, they wouldn't be doing these things. But this is the deviation they're on. Deviation. Everything the same. Me? <laughs> Everything the same. Then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's like a general point. The Imam, he is to be somebody whom the people are pleased with. They are pleased with him as the Imam, but they are secondary things. There are secondary things after those primary factors. The primary factors are the first thing. Because these, there's some narrations, like the Imam who used to lead the people, and every raka'ah, he used to say, Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Every raka'ah, he used to recite, Qul huwa Allahu ahad. After the other surah. A surah, then Qul huwa Allahu ahad. Every raka'ah. So they went to the Prophet They told him, all the time he does this. Uh, no, first, yeah, they went to him and they said, why do you do this? And why, why every time, uh, you know what he said to them? In the narration it says, he says, this is how I recite. If you don't want me like this, I leave. But this is what I'm doing. So then they went to the Prophet and then the Prophet he asked him and he said, because I love this surah. And the Prophet mentioned to him, this is good. Praised him and told him, for your love of this surah is good. This is the, the ikhlas to Allah, Surah Al-Ikhlas. So they complained. So the, that point about the Imam looking after his congregation. When Mu'adh ibn Jabal used to go and lead the prayer. And he used to make it really long. And one day one of the people, he got so long, he just broke off. And finished it by himself and went. So then Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he said, that man must be a munafiq. Broke off from the prayer and went. So that man, when he heard this, he went and complained to the Prophet ﷺ that he was calling me that, munafiq. Then when they discovered what the story was behind it, they spoke to, uh, the Prophet ﷺ spoke to Mu'adh ibn Jabal and told him that this is a fitna you're causing for the people, Fattan, that you're making it too long and those people, they work during the day, etc. So this issue of looking after the congregation will come to it yet anyway, as one of the responsibilities of the Imam. One of the responsibilities of the Imam is to look after the congregation. <laughs> At your workplace, you lead the prayer. Uh huh. Well, it depends on what they are. Uh, these types of people, they are the ones who will say we are Hanafi. That's what they will say. Sheikh bin Bazi said it depends on the aqidah of that person. If his aqidah is 
too deviated, then don't pray behind them. They believe all types of deviations in aqidah, then don't pray behind them. Mm. You know, you know, you know, I tell you, in that situation, in that situation, then it is better, it's better, just take your socks off and wash your feet. Because then you can lead the prayer with them. Wiping over the socks, it is just a rukhsa. It's not wajib. You're not sinning if you don't wipe over the socks. In that situation given, that if you don't wipe over the socks, take them off and wash your feet, you will be able to lead the prayer over them, then I would do it. I would do it. Rather than saying, no, I insist on wiping, but then they're going to lead the prayer over you. So it's better you lead the prayer in that situation. In the, you know, like the scholars, they say, imagine you go to a place where they pray with their hands down by their side. You know, they say this is the Maliki Madhab. It is not. But they say, hands down by your side. Putting your hands on your chest, is it rukan? Is it wajib? Is it sunnah? Sunnah. So technically, if you pray with your hands down by your side, your prayer is completely valid. Some of the scholars, they say, if you go to a land which is fully Maliki, or they claim to be Maliki, and they pray like that, and you're like a student of knowledge, you can go there and benefit the people, you should just pray with your hands down by your side. They say, because all you're doing is leaving a sunnah, which, okay, fair enough, still a sunnah, but you're leaving a sunnah, but the benefit you will achieve by leaving the sunnah is the people will let you teach them. But you go there and start doing this, they say, oh, khalas, he's not Maliki, forget him. So they say, leave the sunnah. It's a sunnah, fair enough, still you should be doing it, but it's a sunnah. It's not rukun, not wajib. Leave that, and there will be a greater benefit for you in what you can do. So if I was in that situation, I would just wash, because then I am leading them, I don't have to pray behind them. And you can uh, wipe off your socks other times, other places. Mm. Ah, yes. Yeah. Following behind, it's mentioned about that place in the hands when Sheikh Albani prayed with Sheikh Bin Baz. Who's not knowledgeable? You're absolutely right. They are not knowledgeable in reality because their knowledge has not benefited them. Knowledge that does not benefit you is not knowledge. The whole purpose, you know, knowledge. Seeking knowledge, you don't seek knowledge for the sake of seeking knowledge. Seeking knowledge is not for the sake of seeking knowledge. It is just a side thing to get you to something else. What is it that you're actually trying to get to? The worship, the obedience. You need to know how to worship Allah. How are you going to do that? You need to go and seek this knowledge. You don't seek the knowledge just for the sake of the knowledge and then don't do the worship. The knowledge is sought in order to achieve the worship properly. So the knowledge, they say, is only a means to the goal. Knowledge isn't the goal itself. Knowledge isn't the objective. Knowledge is a means to the objective. But they have taken this means and not fulfilled it. 